0: Hey, everybody, Scott Burnside back for the Wednesday edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Pierre Lebrun, I know that he's been listening to the other Two Man Advantage podcasts that get taped early in the morning, but he is back live with us. And I just want to, before we get to our guest, I just want you to tell me that you have not taped that Dallas Atlanta football game from <laughs> Sunday and are not watching it on a never ending loop. In your living room. Tell me you're not doing that.
1: Oh, uh, you know me so well. I'm such a right. sick Cowboys fan. You know what? They had it on NFL Network again last night, so yes, I taped it. And I will be putting it on while I'm <laughs> writing on my next column later today. I, I, I'm sorry. It's just there have been few and far between uh, electrical moments, electric moments with that team over the past uh, 25 years, so I'll take it.
0: Oh, my gosh. I knew you would. That uh, that's, that's, that's good. That, but enough football. But it uh, Pierre, when we chat every Wednesday and we do this podcast, it, it the bar set pretty low because it doesn't matter who comes on to join us and chat with us. I invariably I feel much smarter at the end of the conversation. But I can guarantee you that when we are done today, you and I are going to be we're going to be like Mensa smart after we get done talking with Michael Hirschfeld, who is the Executive Director of the National Hockey League Coaches Association. So Michael, no pressure, but Pierre and I are counting on you today to make us wildly smart when we're done our conversation about what you do with the association, and all that good stuff. So uh, no pressure.
2: Hi, guys. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on and great to be here today. But you're right. That That is a lot of pressure. I'll do my best. Well,
1: well, here, well, here's why it's a lot of pressure. Ken Hitchcock once referred to Scotty and I as two guys, but one brain. So it's, a, it's you know, I mean, we're not exactly seen as Mensa candidates. So let's see how this goes. <laughs> That's Fair right. enough.
2: Fair That's enough. Right. Well, I'll do the best I can
0: well yeah, I I feel that the, I feel though the world is your oyster Michael and I, it, you know what's it, all kidding aside uh, a lot of people may not be aware a that there is a national Hockey League coaches association um, because you are you you're it's a sort of a, a very quiet um, organization in terms of its profile but the work you do and you know and and your plans for the future are uh, they affect a lot of people There's a ton of good work that you're doing so maybe Michael just tell us what does the national hockey league coaches association do and maybe how did you get involved? What's your, how did what's your connection? How did you become this important person?
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks Scott. That's a really good question and something we've definitely heard before. Um, I think my friends often ask me from time to time, still what, what we actually do. Um, the reality is that, you know, a lot of the work that we do is very sensitive in nature and, you know, as a result, we choose to um, do our work behind the scenes. That being said, I think that NHL coaches play an important role in the league. And I think it's important to come on podcasts like this one, just to let, let your, let your listeners know, let the fans know a little bit more about their stories and their background. So thanks guys for the opportunity to come on today. Um, as for the association itself, um, our number one priority is to protect the interests of and advocate on behalf of all NHL coaches. Um, As you guys know, and your listeners know, there are 31 teams in the league, soon to be 32. Um, And each team has a coaching staff of six to eight coaches. Um, When we watch TV and the games on TV, we see, you know, the head coaches and the assistant coaches. But there's also goalie coaches and video coaches um, who work behind the scenes. um, And they do a lot of important work that's, you know, critical to a team's ultimate success. Um, So we represent head coaches uh assistant coaches goalie coaches and video coaches and when you extrapolate that out 31 teams by seven coaches it's about 220 um, members of the association in total Um, so what do we help them with we help them with um, salary negotiation and contracts we help them with health benefits Uh, right now we're doing some work on um, disability insurance Um, and a concrete example i can give you is you know just just for this upcoming season Uh, We worked very collaboratively with the league and with Bill Daly, and now all of our video coaches and our goalie coaches um, will be receiving an NHL pension. That's something that was previously only accessible for head coaches and assistant coaches. But again, that's a a project that we worked on with the league, and again, we're happy to um, get that benefit for um, the head coaches and the video coaches. Um. So that's the stuff we do collectively for all of the members. And then of course, when you have, you know, 220 coaches, each of them has their own, you know, individual issues um, that are particular to them. And so um, we help with those as well. Just last week I was helping a coach, you know, get his green card. He's taking a new job in the U S um, and we helped him, um, you know, get that green card. This morning I was talking with uh, a coach and his wife, and they have three kids and they're moving to a new city and they had to register their, their kids at a new school. So we were helping with that. So it's hard to really pinpoint exactly what we do on a day-to-day basis. Um, but I would say that we, we really help um, our coaches with everything that's off ice, everything non-hockey. We definitely don't get involved in who the fourth defenseman's gonna be or um, who the goalie is that night or what's going wrong with the power play. Um, but everything else uh, that's off ice uh, really falls into our mandate. So um, hopefully that gives you a little bit of a sense of you know that's our top priority at the at the association of what we do on a day to day basis.
1: And when I wrote about you in the athletic a couple of years ago, Michael, I I referred to you as a Donald Fear of the coaches world, and I think it was to try and you know sort of message to the readers you know what you're about, and 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 in some ways. It's true, but in in many important ways, it's not because, you know, the NHLPA, of course, collectively bargains with the National Hockey League in a very distinctive manner. And that's not the case, right, with with the coaches. In fact, the coaches are employees of each team. Um, and, And so I wonder if you could walk us through that fine line of, you know, looking out for the interests of all these coaches throughout the league, but at the same time. You know, not being able to sit down and collectively bargain, you know, uniform uh, rules, really, um,
2: at least at this point. Yeah, of course. It's it's a great question. And, you know, I I think we align ourselves much more with with the league. Um, As you said, we are employees of the clubs. Um, And um, again, it's something our coaches, our coaches, um, you know, we like to collaborate with the league. We want to help grow the game together. Um, it's not confrontational in, in by in any means, um, and so yeah, I think it's a much different relationship than the players' association would have um, than what than what we do here at the association. And I think there's obviously a you know a, um, there is a, a big difference. They are a union, and we are we are simply an association. So um, much more collaborative. Uh, We're working along the league now on on a bunch of different projects, um, and that's how our guys would really prefer it.
1: And, and, and in fact, a a major difference, by the way, just for people listening, because I think this this from time to time uh, becomes interesting, is is that coaches' contracts vary, right? There is not a uniform coaches' contract, whereas we know with players, it's a standard players' contract. Um, the, the, The bones of it are the same from player to player in terms of the format, but obviously you can negotiate within that. But, you know, the coaches' contracts over the years have varied incredibly, right? I mean, uh, there's, I guess, more flexibility in some cases. But, but the bottom line is it's, it's – the, there isn't – I mean, it really depends what the coach and the team want to do, basically.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Each coach negotiates their own contract and negotiates their own terms. So um, it's, it's, it's much different than a standardized player's
0: contract. Michael, so I'm, I'm curious, how did you how did you come to be in this position? And, and maybe as a you – know, I'm going to break the journalistic rules. I'm going to ask a follow-up with my initial one. But I wonder – because I know when talking to coaches around the NHL, the association has become a really important part of their day-to-day lives. As you mentioned, some of the important work that you're doing. I wonder, since taking this position, whether – you what your relationship with those coaches is like and if it's different than you imagined it would be
2: yeah that's a great question scott thanks for asking um let me start it's it's probably good for your listeners to get a little bit of context about the association and i'm happy to explain how i got involved Um, so the the association itself officially started back in 2000 it was started by scotty bowman and roger nielsen pat quinn um, a bunch of coaches um, who were around at that time. In fact, Rick Bonus was was uh, part of the group that uh, helped set it up back in 2000, um, and Jacques Martin, who's still around as well today, coaching. Um, and and really, I mean, again, we we see coaches on TV. We see them, you know, competitive and and into the game and and you know, working to beat each other. But behind the scenes, and you guys would know this just from your dealings with them, there really is a community so they they really look out for each other and protect each other's interests Um, it was run for many years by george kingston um, the former head coach in san jose the longtime head coach at the university of calgary Um, and then i got involved in the association in 2016. Um, george was doing uh, the role part-time and the executive board of the association led by mike babcock uh, wanted to have a full-time person running it um i come from a legal background i also spent many years in the investment business um and so um we took it uh you know took it a little more uh further forward uh, made it a little bit more professional and you know four years later we're really happy with with where we are um you know to your second part of your question scott you know what have i enjoyed and, and what has been a surprise to me I think just the camaraderie of the coaches and how they really do stick together um, and really want to look out for each other. Um, you know we've we've had a, I, I could give you a bunch of examples about that, but um, they really do look out for each other, and um, that that's really been a surprise for me. And I think the other thing that's really surprised me is you know how accessible they are. They've all been willing to do whatever we've asked them. Um, and so it's been it's been a really a real pleasure. I've really enjoyed the job.
1: Mike, it's been a really important year in so many different ways. I don't think we'll ever forget 2020, but in particular with hockey, um, you know, the creation of the Hockey Diversity Alliance. I mean, we've had Akim Aliou here on this podcast, um, and it's led to some really important conversations, I think. And, And in lieu of the HDA, I wonder if you could walk us through what the Coaches Association you know has done uh and i think it actually predates uh 2020 but uh, you know it's still a sport in general but also in the coaching ranks where you know let's call it for what it is it's still you know very white uh, very male oriented and i'm just wondering what the efforts have been from the association to try and open some doors
2: yeah it's a great question pierre thanks thanks for asking and it's um you know i'd love to talk to you about some of the programs we do run um that's really the the second priority of the association um and so if if you can hold that question let me just again give a little bit of background on this um you know first of all i think our guys recognize how fortunate they are to be working in the nhl um they're at the pinnacle of their sport just like a, a basketball coach you know reaching the nba or a soccer coach reaching the premier league You know, working in the NHL is, um, you know, the ultimate job for a hockey coach. And so um, our guys, you know, recognize how fortunate they are, um, but they also recognize, you know, getting to the top of their profession. They had some help along the way. They had a coach or a mentor who was able to assist. Um, And so you know, they've really given us a mandate um, now that they're at the top of the profession to, you know, turn around. They want to share their expertise and their knowledge um, with, you know, the global community of thousands of hockey coaches around the world. And so we've built uh, a bunch of programs um, to assist those coaches. Um, you know, whether you're uh, a coach working with six-year-old Saskatchewan or a professional coach in Sweden, um, you know, our guys want to try and help those coaches take, um, you know, take their coaching to to the next level. So, um, you know, I give my colleague, Lindsay Arkin, a lot of credit. She's been the driving force behind a lot of these programs. But yes, we um, we have uh, launched a female coaches program to help um, female coaches. And we've also launched a, a BIPOC coaches program. So um, for Black, Indigenous, people of color coaches. Um, and, you know, the goal is, again, to try and help them try and uh, improve their knowledge base, improve their expertise, and, and also try and help them remove some of the barriers that they faced um, breaking into the coaching world. So yeah, those are two programs that, that we have spent a lot of time on um, and we're um, really excited about. Um, the other thing I want to, the other program I'd really like to talk about is um, our NHLCA mentorship program. And again, this was driven by our coaches who want to give back and want to help coaches around the world. Historically um, we have done a coaches clinic in person at the NHL draft um but over the last year or so um we've gone more and more online and you know part of the reason for that was COVID. Uh, it made sense to do um, more stuff online but also we wanted to access more coaches around the world Um, and so last year we had 25 webinars um, that we hosted Um, some of our head coaches were involved jeff flashill bruce cassidy jared bedner Um, Led the webinars and the webinars, you know, ranged uh, a variety of topics. Obviously, there were topics around hockey. Uh, We did some stuff on penalty kill or power play or breakouts, but there were also a lot of um, you know topics that were non-hockey. We did some stuff on leadership, how to build a team, um, you know, how to overcome adversity. So um, the NHLCA mentorship program was a real success as well. Um, We had three thousand coaches tune in. on online from around the world. We had coaches from Australia, from Malaysia, from Indonesia. I didn't even know there were hockey programs in Indonesia, um, but we had coaches tune in for that and, and give us great feedback. So um, yeah, we run a bunch of programs, uh, the female coaches in the BIPOC program, BIPOC programs are obviously um, relevant today, um, but we're also uh, real really happy about this mentorship program. And actually I should make a last point if I could um, for all your listeners out there, we're actually starting the mentorship program up um, again for this upcoming season. Our first presentation will be on October 15th. Um, Ken Hitchcock will be um, speaking. So if, you're, if your listeners are interested in tuning in, um, you know please feel free to do so. Um, it's free, accessible to everyone. There's no charge. Um, they can visit our website at nhlca.com. Um, all the details will be up there as of October 1st.
0: Speaking from experience, you should never miss a chance to chat hockey with Ken Hitchcock. That is for darn sure. Uh, uh, Michael, it strikes me when you talk about those programs and I I love the mentorship program and I love the reach that it's had. And I wonder if you can share with us just some of the maybe some of the moments, because a lot of these coaches, they do a lot of things that aren't. In the spotlight, they do things on their own time in the off season, in and around their own duties as as NHL head coaches or assistant coaches. But in terms of reaching out to various communities and doing things that are that are pretty darn special, I know, you know, whether it's at, in the wake of the Humboldt uh, bus tragedy or or some uh, other areas where you've seen firsthand where those coaches are reaching out and are making a difference in, in various communities. Can you share some of that? Yeah,
2: absolutely, Scott. And, um, you know, the Humboldt, the Humboldt tragedy is a, is a perfect example. Um, you know, our coaches, as I said a couple of times already, they really want to protect those community of coaches and, and reach out and help. And so I remember Humboldt, um, I'm sure all of us remember Humboldt, but I remember it happened on a Friday night. And I remember waking up on Saturday morning at 7 a.m., and I had a call and I looked over at my wife and said, who's calling at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning? And it was Todd McClellan. And, you know, Todd was the head coach in Edmonton at the time. And he called me. He said, OK, what are we doing? What are, How are we going to help? And, um, you know, I know that him and Glenn Gulletson, who was the head coach in Calgary at the time, um, you know, they they chartered a private plane that Saturday morning and they flew to Humboldt and they. Spent the morning, you know, visiting with the families at the hospital and and you know trying to to help them through a difficult time. Um, and so Todd McCullen really sparked something with our association, and um, you know we raised seventy five thousand dollars amongst our members within a couple of days. That was matched by one of our corporate partners, Fairfax, and so we had one hundred fifty thousand dollars that. Um, you know, we used to help um, the three families of the coaches that passed away. So Darcy Haugan was the head coach who passed away. Uh, Mark Cross was the assistant coach. And, and Brady Hintz was um, the video coach uh, for the Humboldt team. And so we were able to use a lot of that money to, um, you know, help those families in the immediate aftermath of the tragedy. And, you know, we took it a step further. We um, we set up an endowment fund um, in honor of those coaches. And, you know, we did a, a a partnership with the Canadian Junior Hockey League. Um, and now the Canadian Junior Hockey League, the, you know, the coach of the year every year, um, wins what's called the Darcy Haugen and the Mark Cross, um, coach of the year award. And so with that, they get, you know, some, some money from us about $5,000 as part of that endowment. They get $5,000, um, from Bauer. Um, and they get to come to our um, clinics and participate in those clinics. So again, that's just one example of how our coaches, you know, reached out immediately after the tragedy to help out. And I know, you know, even that following summer, I know that Mike Babcock went up there, um, and ran some practices for, um, you know, for the Humboldt, the new Humboldt coaches, as they were trying to pick the team for the next season. I know that Jared Bednar, the head coach in Colorado, um, was involved in those practices as well. And Jared's from that community. Um, and Jared runs a golf tournament every year to help raise funds for Humboldt. So those are a couple of examples. One more, I should, you know, mention, we probably all unfortunately remember an incident a couple of years ago where, um, some first, a first nations team at a tournament in Quebec were verbally abused. Um, and, you know, again, our coaches heard about that. And some of our Winnipeg jets coaches, you know, went, uh, reached out to them, contacted them and actually ran a couple of practices for them. You know after the fact just to show that they were looking out for them and concerned and and wanted to make sure that you know the, those kids knew that that wasn't how the normal hockey community reacts and that was an exception so yeah our guys do a lot of stuff behind the scenes um and you know that's that's part of the you know part of the joy of working in this job is you really get to be a part of that
1: you mentioned mike babcock uh, uh michael and um you know, a lot of people may not know this, but yeah, he was a driving force, right? And in, in identifying you and having you hired to, to come in and run the coaches association. That was four years ago now. I think you were hired. Uh, but maybe walk us through that. I mean, knowing Mike Babcock, it would have been a pretty direct conversation, I'm sure, when, uh, when you guys started talking about this.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I met Mike uh, four years ago um, when I was, I guess, interviewing for this for this job, and you know, we had a lot of discussions about where we could take the association, um, how we could build it, how we could improve the lot for coaches, and you guys know Mike's, you know, he's he's very single-minded. He has he definitely has his uh, thoughts on how to do that, um, and I know you know I know when he left Toronto, he left um, in challenging circumstances. Um, In my experience working with Mike, he's been nothing but supportive. He's been a great advocate for coaches over the years. Um, Yeah, he absolutely was the driving force behind um, this association and where it is now. Um, And I think the important thing to point out about Mike is, I mean, the reality is Mike's had a terrific career. He's made a great name for himself. You know, he's probably going to the Hall of Fame. Um, he's made, you know, he's made a lot of money. He's in a financially in a very strong position. So this this association isn't really for him. He doesn't need our help. Um, but the fact that he's still involved and still active uh, participant in the association, I think shows how much he cares about coaches. And he wants to make sure that that next generation of coaches is protected and their interests are looked after. And, you know, I would say that for Mike, but I'd also say that for, you know, Joel Quinville, Hitch, Claude Julian, all those guys who are senior coaches who have, you know, again, made it in the league, so to speak. They're really active in the association looking out for that next generation. So have nothing but positive things to say about them.
0: Good stuff. Michael, it's been uh, great to check. Uh, check in with you and hang out. I, I had one question before we let you go, though. Sure. <laughs> um, I, I know uh, Pierre has been writing about this, and he and I have been trying to figure out what's going to happen once the Stanley Cup gets awarded, uh, what the twenty twenty one season looks like moving forward. And and listen, it's a it's a pretty grim landscape. It's a grim landscape for. For doesn't matter where you turn, not just hockey, obviously, uh, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and, and all that's happened as a result of that. But but certainly hockey teams are no different than lots of businesses uh, looking to cut corners and cut expenses, all those kinds of things. And I wonder what kind of challenges this specific landscape as we move forward um Means for you as an association for the and for the the coaching community, because uh, there there may be there may be some ripple effects felt throughout the coaching community as as a result of this.
2: Yes, yeah, Scott, it's a good question. And uh, you know you're absolutely right. Anyone who watches the news or reads the newspaper, um you know we've all seen the catastrophic impact that this pandemic has had you know on the global economy. And you're absolutely right. The business of hockey is no different. Um, Our coaches have been affected, Um, you know, just like scouts or general managers or, you know, people who work in the ticket office at at clubs or security, um, you know, everyone's been impacted. I'm sure, you know, your listeners have all been impacted and had their, you know, their careers and jobs affected um, by the the pandemic. So, you know, it's it's definitely something um, that we're aware of, we're working with our coaches on. Um, But I think our coaches, I think the important thing To note is that our coaches understand again um, how important it is to protect the future of the game and they've been willing to help um, clubs through hard times and you know some of them have taken salary cuts some of them have deferred some of their salary again just to help out to make sure that you know the business of the nhl comes out stronger on the other side so um you know i think everyone in the world is going to have tough times ahead for the next couple of years um, but our coaches are are willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that the business stays strong.
1: Yeah, and, and as we let you go, it's interesting with Bob Booner being uh, announced as we suspected was going to be the case uh, as the full time head coach in San Jose. It kind of ties a, a nice bow on the whole league for you guys because aside from uh, Rick Bonus, who now the world is his oyster uh, in terms, we'll see what happens <laughs> with him after the season. Yeah. But but yeah. Ba- but basically, outside of Seattle. Uh, it's sort of a, you know, it's so cyclical, of course, but right now it looks like everything's kind of taken care of in, in each market, uh, co- coaching-wise.
2: Well, yeah, remember what I said off the top, that that's true, but we also represent assistant coaches and goalie coaches. Right, right. Coaches. So right. there's a lot of those uh, positions still to be filled, but um, you're right, the, the high-profile head coaching jobs have all been uh, accounted for at this point. <laughs> Good stuff.
0: All right, Michael. Thank you so much for hanging out. And as I predicted off the top, I'm like ten times smarter than I was. I can't speak for Pierre, but I'm ten <laughs> times smarter than when we started. And, and and thanks for sharing that. I really I think it's an important. It's important for people to understand the, the 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 mechanics of something that a lot of us you know take for granted. As you say, watching TV and you see the head coaches behind the bench, but it's a there. There's a lot of machinery that's attached to that. And and you guys do terrific work and 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 a lot of good work ahead too in terms of diversity and inclusion and 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 helping out the coaching fraternity well beyond the boundaries of the NHL so good work by you and and thanks, thanks for- guys for
2: having me on and uh, 10 times I'm I'm not sure about that Scott but, uh, <laughs> I
0: appreciate the
2: uh, generosity from your end yeah all right but anyway th- thank you Michael Thanks, guys. Have a good day.
0: Pierre, I want to give you credit. Good call by you to uh, get Michael on with us. And uh, we're going to take a brief break, but I'm, I'm curious uh, about some of the things that uh, Michael was talking about, uh, and we'll kick that around. Plus, of course, the Stanley Cup final, free agency. we we'll got a lot of – we'll unpack some stuff when we get back to close out this edition of Two-Man Advantage, so don't go away. Every sports story that matters, that's the athletic way. And now you can join for just $1 or £1 a month. Get unlimited access to breaking news, in-depth stories, and expert analysis on what's sure to be one of the most enthralling seasons in sports history. We know this is a fact. The NHL playoffs almost completed in the Edmonton bubble. Stanley Cup Final, Dallas-Tampa, a draft October 6th and 7th. Free agency a couple of days after that. You don't want to miss any of it. So subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com two-man advantage, you can receive an all-access subscription for just $1 a month. Sports are back, and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com two-man advantage, Receive an all-access subscription for just $1 a month, and we hope to see you there. You were the man responsible for lining this up, so again, credit to you, and uh, I-, I thought uh, Michael was terrific, and I, I love the story about Humboldt and uh, about those uh, young players, and I believe you mentioned it, referenced it in the story, about some of the, the elements of racism in Canadian hockey uh, earlier this year, and and. Just for me, at least, really heartwarming to hear how quickly and emphatically uh, the NHL coaches responded in in, in the face of those kinds of incidents. I wonder if there was any surprise for you uh, about what what Michael had to to say today.
1: I I don't know about surprise, but I hope for our listeners it was it was educational because I think that, you know, I think it's a mystery, frankly, to a lot of hockey fans how, you know coaches go about their business in terms of uh you know contracts and you know uh you know like i thought it was interesting that michael and i did learn something new there where michael talked about you know working on disability insurance for coaches and and you know all those things that really doesn't come to light and um and it's been a fascinating time that you know coaches are making more money than ever um and you know even in these pandemic times uh Peter Laviolette signing a lucrative deal uh, with the Washington Capitals that makes him the fifth highest paid coach in the National Hockey League at just under $5 million a year. I mean, it, it you know, that's the kind of muscle that coaches simply didn't have 10 years ago. And I think a lot of that has been coaches unifying more than ever, right? Um, sharing information, uh, you know, sharing salary information with each other. Uh, all the things that, frankly, players did decades ago, right, to to advance their cause i think we've seen coaches do that but they have to do it in a trickier way because they are not a union as michael talked about right they uh they uh they have to be careful how they go about it because they don't have a cba uh with the league they work for teams but it has been fascinating and certainly quenville and babcock deserve a lot of credit for the you know for the salary push um and, and it's not that I see that many coaches ever making $6 million again or just under, which, you know, Quenville and Babcock uh, got to, but there is a pretty big whack of coaches now in and around $3 million, which is a huge departure from 10 years ago, right? So that almost feels like the new norm if, if you've had, a, you know, if you're a veteran coach.
0: So I'm curious. I had this conversation with an NHL executive the other day, and we were we were talking about, you know, Bill Armstrong, uh, well, formally announced yesterday, I think, with the media in Arizona as the new GM, mm-hmm. GM of the Arizona Coyotes, and of course, as you and I have talked about, Bill Zito taking over as GM in, in Florida. Uh, do you ever think we'll see a, a day where we're We have like a GM's association because part of our discussion, and it was we were talking about the NHL coaches association and how much work they have done in allowing coaches to understand the marketplace and Mm -hmm. whether it's a video coach or an assistant coach or the eye in the sky coach. There's at least understanding now around the NHL of okay, here's here's sort of the basic market. Value for what you do. And I think the, the, this executive was like, We know nothing, right? Like, what's it? What does, what is the market value for an assistant GM who's, you know, maybe taking on more of a role or more contractual stuff? And then when you make that step from assistant GM to GM, especially, you know, Florida is a smaller market. Obviously, Arizona's got its own financial challenges. But I wonder if at some point we'll see the GMs who say, "Well, wait a minute. The coaches have all this information now. Uh, maybe we should be doing the same." That, yeah, that makes sense to you.
1: Yeah, and I don't know this for a fact, but it wouldn't surprise me if if a couple of younger GMs. I bet you over the years, ever since Michael Hirschfeld took over the coaches association, I've reached out to him for advice. I guarantee you. Because of just what you said, like, why is it the coaches have got their act together and the GMs, it's a bit more of a, but I think with the GMs, it's always going to be harder to, to have that kind of, 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 of unifying philosophy because you got GMs a different, you know, it's such a different ball game when you're Ken Holland or Lou Morello or Doug Armstrong in terms of the, the more experienced GMs. And the first-year GMs who are just happy to have a job, let's be honest. And, and I think – and, of course, some of the veteran GMs over the years have even had a piece of the cake. Um, you know, Jim Rutherford years ago had had you know a stake in Carolina. Uh, I think that Lula Lamarello, I think, had a stake in the doubles at one point. Um, so I think it's always going to be harder to ever get the GMs on the same page in terms of, you know – being able to to have more of a a philosophical negotiating strategy right uh and of course they're 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 one step closer to touching the sun they're they're, they deal directly with owners unlike coaches so i think it's uh, i think it's always going to be different for general managers
0: yeah um all right let's uh let's get to some hockey here and uh I was saying this to Mike Rupp, who was on the show yesterday morning, um, and of course a man who understands what it's like to be in a final, scored a game-winning goal, and three to give the Devils a Stanley so, Cup. So
1: funny thing is, I was on with Mike Rupp as well. I was on Period. with uh, with Cooley on uh, uh, on the NHL Radio, and Mike Rupp oh, okay. was co-hosting. So we both well, had nice. a Mike Rupp experience this week. Well, How about
0: that? I- I don't know if you listened to it, and I will plug this. So that it's something that happened yesterday on basically our show, even though you weren't there. He told the best Yarmur Yager story. Oh my God, it was just so. It was you got to go and listen to it. It was it was outstanding. But but he and I were talking about that the draw. You know the drama, the final, and you and I have talked about you know it's different right i mean i'm in, i'm at home been home for 6 months you know it's we're not there but i tell you after two games i can't wait for game 3 tonight like i'm so pumped for to see what happens and that final Tampa Dallas and I know the TV ratings are down blah blah blah. I, I just think it's been compelling. And even when Tampa got up 3-nothing the other night and Dallas stormed back and were the better team for the most part over the last two periods and John Klingberg has that tying goal on his stick with about 3 seconds to go. I I can't wait and it's been I know there've been 200 hits in four in the two games between the two teams basically and it's even, right? 50 hits each every game they're pounding each other I, I honestly i can't wait and i wonder are you are you jazzed about it or are you ready for it to be over or both <laughs> no i think
1: it's been compelling um you know i listen it's not ideal for all kinds of reasons this is as congested as a sports calendar is going to be in the entire year you got football's back nothing can mess with football as you know uh <laughs> the baseball's you know in the uh, headed to the playoffs, uh, the NBA playoffs are in the Final Four. It, it, you know, you just had the U.S. Open Golf, which was tremendous. Uh, it, it's a tough time for hockey to carve out its own niche, but and you have you know two uh, non-traditional markets that don't have as big a following as as other markets. But uh, I think both teams are amazing stories. Uh, I think the hockey so far has been unbelievable. And you could feel the urgency and the, I almost want to say anxiety of, you know, I said this on TSN radio this week. The difference between winning and losing emotionally might be as vast as I can ever remember in NHL history. And what I mean is the team that wins this series will have felt that all this time in the bubble, away from their families, staring at four walls, The grind of that will have obviously been worth it. I mean, this is a Stanley Cup where you have to go five rounds, not four rounds. I mean, obviously these two teams were in the round robin, so they weren't at risk of losing in the first, in the you know, in the pre-playoff stage. But still, it's 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 you know, the return to play is technically longer than the NHL playoffs ever were. Uh, It's not been ideal. It ends up being that the families can't come in from the U.S. to the to Edmonton bubble, which Really sucks for a lot of players. I could feel that disappointment in Joe Pavelski's voice when I talked to him last week. Um, so if you win, it's like, you know what? Well worth it. The team that loses this series, I think, is just gonna be so crushed emotionally, uh, because of everything we just talked about. And and I think you'll see it on their faces at the end of the series. I'm not I'm not looking forward to that part.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, and and yes, I mean, the investment here is huge. And I and I agree. I think it's played out in this. Like, there is, a, there is a kind of abandon. Now, both these teams play that way, right? I mean, Tampa's built itself to play this kind of hockey. But, man, that is especially, and I said this to Mike, but, you know, sometimes at the final, it takes a couple of games, right? You know, you don't know each other. You don't play each other much. But, man, they, they have got right into it. And now a best of five. I, I'm just, I'm. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious about you because this is, I mean, this is, we'll say this is your time of year, but the off season is Mm -hmm. your, right? Like that's what you, you are, this is, this is your baby, right? I mean, whether it's trades leading up to the draft, the preparations for free agency, and it's just, I keep looking at the calendar and go, oh my God, like we're, we're going to go almost directly from, you know, a Stanley Cup celebration in a bubble in Edmonton to to the draft on the sixth and seventh, and then free agency on the ninth, and and there's so much. There, well, let me ask it this way: What's your sense of where where teams are at trying to prepare themselves for the uh, an an off season where there is the unknown is vast in with the salary cap with team internal budgets free agency what's the value teams are trying to trade their sometimes restricted free agents whether it's a matt murray or like what's what's your sense of the the vibe around the league as we head into this this, maybe the craziest offseason in in nhl history well
1: first of all the stanley cup final is is always a time in which this stuff really ramps up and and Somewhat to your annoyance over the years, because you and I have covered a lot of finals as a tandem over the years between ESPN.com and the Athletic, but and and it's you know we're not there this year. But I can't, to be honest, say that <laughs> I, I I miss it from the point of view of if I'm going to be at a finals. The best part is to be around the players and the coaches every day, and the fact that that's not there for the media—that's there—that would drive me crazy. But but from being at the finals every year since 2002 this would be the time where things really start to ramp up off season wise. And I'll always remember, I'm sure you do. We were covering LA, New Jersey in 2012 and I took a day off the final. So you covered me and, uh, and did some rumblings. And and that was the day we put out the story that Tim Thomas was going to take a year off from the Boston Bruins and, and just the, I just, the, the, the reaction to that story in the middle of a final. And, but it's always a reminder that when you get to the final two, uh, teams have already been talking, uh, uh, there's already been some trades. I mean, it's, it's, it's really starts to ramp up and, um, and it always, it's a reminder to me that when you're at the cup final of what's around the corner and no different this year, despite how bizarre things are and how different things are, uh, it is unbelievable how much activity there is right now in terms of teams talking to each other, but there's also a lot of frustration, um, you know, I, I got to tell you, I've spoken to half a dozen front offices uh, over the past week that are trying to move money and are hitting a brick wall trying to do so. And, and it speaks to the financial pressure on a lot of these organizations and also the salary cap pressure with a flat cap. They're not always one on the same. I mean, there are some teams that need to move cash. There are other teams that need to clear up cap space, two different things. But in both cases. Uh, it's been difficult to do. So, so that that's going to be a major theme of the next couple weeks. Um, because, you know, I had one team executive make this point to me yesterday, Scotty. As much as we're focused on how the flat cap is affecting things this offseason, he says next year is going to be a bigger gong show. Because what if we have a shortened season next year? What if it's not 82 games? And, and even if it is 82 games, it's not going to be 18,000 fans in every ring. So the revenues are taking another hit next year, and in many ways, probably a, I mean, has to be a bigger hit than this year, because at least this year the league got 85 percent of a normal season pre-COVID. So next year the revenues take a, a hit. Now, yes, the cap is frozen, but in terms of the real-life cash flow and how owners are feeling it, what's the pressure going to be like next off-season in terms of what they're willing to sign players to contracts? So. You know, I hadn't even thought of that, to be honest. I was so focused on this offseason. But the bottom line is, I think a lot of teams are going to approach some of these contract negotiations as we're at least three years before we get out of the woods. And who blinks first between agents and front offices here over the next couple of weeks when it comes to that conversation? You know, I, I still think there are agents who are going to say, do you want this player or not, Right. And once you get two teams competing on a player, uh, it drives the price up. So I, I've i never felt more uncertainty on both sides of it in terms of a marketplace developing than right now, and for obvious reasons.
0: I, I just thought it was interesting just before we, we close here, But and you mentioned it vis-a-vis um, you know, Bill Zito trying to get his – Feet wet in Florida, and you know, his top two scorers, uh, Mike Hoffman and Evgeny Dadanov, are both. You know, pending UFAs. Uh, we know that Alex Petrangelo is a pending UFA, and but such an important part of that St. Louis uh, Blues franchise. But the sense is right now, at least from what you and Jeremy Rutherford have been reporting, is that he will go to market to see. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, we saw Steven Stamkos go to market and circle back to Tampa. But my sense is that there may be a lot of teams saying, even if they'd like it, you know, Anton Hudobin's another guy what happens with him in Dallas at some point you know my sense is that there may be a lot of players even though they would like to stay where they are and maybe the team wants them to stay but the value is so uncertain now that I wonder if you think we'll see a lot of those players who do go to market to see where the market waters either rise to or or sink to before making a decision but I just thought it was interesting like there's you know top two scorers in Florida Panthers well Mm -hmm. let's go to market see what happens and, and we'll do the same thing yeah.
1: And I don't think that Bill Zito's closed the door on either player. I think that
0: right exactly the
1: way I tried to put it in my rumblings is that I think that it might be, Hey, let's all see what October 9th is about before circling back to each other. So that, so that might be, and I, you might see that on a, in a number of cases. Um, and, and you know, it, it is a crazy time. Like I, like I think about Taylor Hall and how special a player he is and you know, I catch myself saying, well, outside of him, let's see what happens with the other UFA forwards and, and the impact of the, the new economy. Well, I mean, are we 100% convinced that it won't affect him either? I mean, I don't know. Like, it'll be interesting to me. Like, it, it, are the seven-year offers there or, or will he get a bunch of short-term offers, you know, come October 9th? I mean, I, I think it's, I mean, I think you have to ask the question.
0: Yeah, no, I I think he's he. There are a handful of really interesting cases based on you know what they've done in the past, and whether it's Taylor Hall or um, you know Torrey Crude coming out of Boston. We mentioned Petrangelo. Yeah, there's a lot of there. There are a lot of. I was I have to do this free agency thing myself, and I was looking at the list, the resumes of some of these players who could be on the market on October sixth. It, it's impressive, but October ninth, yeah. You know, October ninth. Sorry, uh, yes, yeah. I was thinking the draft October sixth. So yes, very, very interesting time. All right, that was uh, that was well done by you today. Good work, I know. Uh, Don't lie. Uh, Don't lie. I know. Was, I know. I thought you were very good today. Um, <laughs> uh, some other pod promo news before we cut you loose. Tony Granato, head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers, and the latest inductee of the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. What a family the Granados are. It's they're incredible. Uh, Tony joins Craig Custance on the Full 60 this week at the Athletic. Uh, Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle come back with a new Leaf report this week at the Athletic, and we know Jeff Patterson and Thomas Trance. Thomas Trance, I don't know. There must be a special award for him. Man, he's he spent a lot of time in that empty arena in Edmonton over the last month and a half. Yeah. So good for him. Their edition of the Van Cast will also come out. You should also check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic App. And you can rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. If you aren't a subscriber, and Pierre, we're we're rocketing past a million subscribers. How great is that? Anyway, if you aren't subscribing, you should go and save and subscribe at the same time. So go to theathletic.com slash two man advantage and you can receive an all access subscription for just $1 a month. That's not much. That's that's very good. And you know, so uh, I know you've been making fun of the uh, the uh, morning two man advantages. Do you know who's coming on to chat tomorrow morning? I'm so excited. Don't care. Emily Kaplan. Don't Emily care. Emily Kaplan. Oh, yeah, now, Emily. I now I do. Now I like you do. I like do she's and she's at she quarantined. She's like another guest. Steve Wino yeah. uh, quarantined so that she could actually get into an empty arena in Edmonton. So good for her. <laughs> Can't wait to uh, hear from her. And- I, I thought you were
1: gonna say when, I, when you said I would make it because I make fun of a lot of things. It, 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 I mentioned this on Twitter the other night, but when the NHL the final the big awards were announced, I, I think they fumbled the fumble the football on that one. I, I think they should have announced the regular season awards before we turned the play. Don't you think? Like I, well, I couldn't I couldn't even remember who I voted for. I had to go check my ballots. It was so long ago. I mean. Jeez. Yeah,
0: I don't know I don't know and I don't know why they jammed them all in like that. Like I kind of liked it when they were because at one point they were, you know, there was there was the Selkie, and then the next day there was the Lady Bing or whatever. I don't know why they didn't spread them out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. No, but they should have know. done it in
1: like mid-July. Hey, training camps around the corner. Return yeah, the plays about to start, but let's uh, you know, let's wrap up the regular season. That's what I would have done. No.
0: All right. Anyway. But uh no, worries, uh, I think yeah, that's not true. I do, uh, and I think Emily Kaplan does too. I, I know that she uh, thinks very highly of you. Uh, and uh, Also, and I don't, no, I don't even she does. I, I know that for a fact. See, I broke your yeah, train you, of thought. You don't know what you did, do with all these promos. I'm now. trying to finish it up here now. And also, <laughs> Jesse Granger is going to come on. We're going to talk some news out of Vegas.
1: Ooh, big off season yeah. there.
0: Yeah, big off season, huge off season. Jesse Granger is going to come on tomorrow morning as well. And my friend, by the next by the next time we chat next week, the Stanley Cup champion could be could be over. I, I'm kind of that's kind of sobering to think of it. So anyway, yeah, we'll find out. And uh, so thanks for hanging out. Good job by you, and we'll do it again next week. Right on, right on.